We are recording this episode in the time of war in Ukraine, which was invaded by the troops of the Russian Federation. In these tragic times in Ukraine, our greatest source of strength as Europeans and as human beings is solidarity. Before we start this episode, we would like to express solidarity with all people in Ukraine, including young people who either stayed there or were forced to leave the country. Digital youth work comes without doubt with many benefits. It was even perceived as a beautiful pink balloon, especially during the COVID-19 pandemic, when all youth work had to be done online. However, very quickly it turned out it also comes with many costs. In this episode, we are discussing the limits of digital youth work on the basis of the research paper published by the Youth Partnership on technology and the new power dynamics, limitations of digital youth work, done by Alicja Pavluchuk and Adina Marina Sherban. Alicja is here with us today, together with Andrzej Dobre, a digital youth work practitioner. My name is Dariusz Grzemny and together with Tania Basarab from the EU Council of Europe Youth Partnership, we are inviting you to listen to this episode of our Under 30 podcast. So it's been a while since we have co-hosted an episode, but this one is a really interesting topic that we will be exploring today with Alicia and Andre. You know, digital youth work became a very big very popular discussion topic already before the pandemic and it became an even bigger and uh, more important topic during the pandemic. So here we are, beginning of 2022, and we've had a few reflections in the partnership. It started with a paper on TechLash and how to engage more critically with technology by Lasse Siurala. Then we had a whole exchange about the importance of building competencies and competence frameworks for youth workers who are doing digital youth work with Michele Di Paola. And today we are going to look even further into this topic and trying to take it with a lot of spices, let's say, with salt and pepper and all the necessary spices that digital youth work is not just a bright pink beautiful balloon. There is a lot in it and we need to engage with it. As we know, at the third youth work convention, there was a lot of talk about making a youth work offer to all young people all over Europe. That's a huge objective. And digitalization was discussed quite a lot during the convention. It was a digital convention. It was all online. And uh, it was seen as something that all of us all parts of the community of practice have to engage with, have to think about it, have to develop ideas. So I'm really happy to have today the perspective of Alicia, who's been researching this topic for quite a, lo uh, a while, everything around digitalization, and with Andre, who is actually practicing it on a daily basis, and he also has his critical reflections. Yes, uh, a beautiful pink balloon, as, as Tanya said. Sometimes this beautiful pink balloon was the necessity. I mean, there was a moment that it was a necessity to move a lot of activities that were happening offline in the youth center, also international youth activities, to move them online. There was the only possibility. Uh, basically, there were two, either to cancel everything or to try 
different uh, other possibilities that exist. And one of them was, of course, technology, using technology as a means and using digital youth work. We know it from experience that a lot of institutions and organizations that are providing youth work are not really prepared. This is on organizational level, but also the youth workers were not prepared and the young people were not ready as well. So there's this combination of not being ready and then being put in this environment, sometimes very new environment, or use the environment that you know for different purpose as well. So this was the complexity of the whole, let's say, operation that happened uh, with the pandemic coming. We are talking about the limits of youth work. So looking at this, not the pink bright side of the youth work, but also not on a very dark side as well. It's looking at where we actually see the drawbacks, where we actually see um, the possibilities to improve or what things we should consider and think when we think, for example, strategically about developing uh, digital youth work. And you identified um, five areas of these limitations of digital youth work. The first area, which we also discussed somehow to a certain extent in our podcast is digital technologies, mental health, and feeling of disconnectedness. So what are these limits of digital youth work? And also, what are your conclusions on that, recommendations maybe on what we have to think about when it comes to this area? Okay, thank you so much for covering this topic. I think it's an important topic to dive into, especially after the pandemic when so many organizations had to suddenly overnight become digital youth work experts. So certainly there has been a shock all over, both for young people and the youth workers. And many people also talked about the opportunity of getting things digitized very quickly and actually pushing forward the digital youth work agenda. But something that I found in my research over the years is that there is a, a sort of fear and a sense of embarrassment that you are not engaging with digital technologies in a meaningful way, or you're just not up to date with your digital competencies. So the more we push the digital youth work agenda, the, the more we also learn about the resistance. And I think it's obvious that, you know, the digital youth work is developing and we need the digital skills for the future. So I guess the purpose of this paper was to kind of examine some of the limitations of digital youth work. So what can digital youth work do? And what are some of the, the issues and challenges that are there? And by examining them, we can also learn how to hopefully address these. So talking about this beautiful pink balloon, I really like the metaphor. I think digital youth work has lots of good press and it's an amazing thing. But I think we it's not about being, well, perhaps it's been about cautiously optimistic, but also realistic. So the aim of this paper is to realistically review what's out there in terms of the challenges and issues. And so I'm going to tackle each point one by one. So one of the things that you've mentioned, Dariusz, is the mental health and the feeling of disconnectedness. And I think that's something that I've heard from the youth workers themselves, but also working with young people. This is something that I uh, kind of experienced as well during the workshops during the pandemic. Yes, digital technologies kind of saved us and helped us to connect during the COVID pandemic. But at the same time, they sort of moved us away from each other. For many of the youth workers, for instance, 
it was a bit of an isolating experience. You know, the the, the meaningful communication, the um, relationship, the conflict resolutions, teamwork, all of these thrive on offline. And this is where you need your social skills offline to 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 tackle these topics. And yes, as we know, there are different challenges when it comes to technologies. Not all of them are related to mental health, but quite a lot of them are related to, you know, the screen time, the overuse of digital technologies, the over-reliance uh, of digital technologies. But um, the key thing that we've also learned is this uh, issue of digital fatigue. So yes, using digital technologies for a bit is fine, but when you constantly have to rely on it, it just isn't uh, helpful at all. So many youth workers talked about digital fatigue and just being tired of the process and the same with young people not being able to engage meaningfully because how long can you possibly you know, sit in front of your screen? So I think these are the key uh, topics that we discussed. It's not only about the, the Zoom fatigue, it's also about... Um the trust. It's related with mental health when you are uh, obliged to, to move that from a routine you practiced probably for 20 years in few days or few weeks in online environment. It's also about trust. It's about uh, confidence. It's about um, fears. It's about a, a learning curve for, for everyone. So you need to be patient with the processes you are trying to, to move in digital. You need to understand, you need to have the confidence in the process. This is what we, we say in all the trainings, have trust in the process. So I, 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 I couldn't see all of these aspects uh, being discussed in, in the digital youth work area. Nobody is telling to, to the youth workers you need to have patience with yourself. Digital is something you learn, but you don't learn in two days. You learn in years. So this is also something we need to tackle related to, to mental health. And also something that I wanted to add from the psychological aspects, moving all the relationships in online environment, we don't have enough data to see what are the consequences. We are feeling that something it's not working or something it's missing, but still we don't have enough data to tell that after two years of online relationships, you will be like this and this. Yes, uh, I think a lot of things were challenged when it comes to digital technologies, mental health and, this, uh, and, and, and connection actually, which is very important or relationships in, in youth work. That's why you also mentioned the aspect of being aware of and maybe even accepting this, because sometimes I feel that the problem is that we are not accepting certain things. I mean, the fact that not everything can be done online, no, not, not every aspect of youth work can be done online. And uh, yes, especially the one related with building relationships, which is very much contributing to the mental health of young people. And then on top of it, we have the third partner, which is the technology, which is the tech companies, because at the beginning, of course, and nowadays we are using the the different means that are provided by big tech companies, Microsoft, Google and, and others, or Zoom as well. So yeah, there is this third aspect. And this is the moment when you talk about this changing power dynamic that suddenly 
from two partners, which is the youth workers and the young people, we have the third one, the big tech, and all the things that comes with it, the issue of privacy, the issue of artificial intelligence, uh, and so on and so forth. Of course, sometimes it may look very interesting at the beginning. Oh, this is something nice. Everything is digitalized. But there is a lot of risks and there is a lot of limits as well related to youth work. If we can talk a bit about this area, about the role of big tech being the third partner and the youth work. Yes, I think it connects really nicely into our discussion on mental health. You know, the the amount of power that digital technologies have over our interactions with the world, the way we, you know, co-create cultures, the way we interact with one another, the way we actually perceive ourselves through digital technologies. So each part of our existence and relationships are being influenced by digital technologies. So yes, I believe that digital technologies are in a sense this new partner, this new actor, a proactive actor. I wouldn't say that it's just passive because as we know, algorithms can have huge impact on the information that we consume and the way we um, interact with others, like I said before. So I think there is an interesting part there when we think about youth workers, process of empowerment of young people. You know, we talk about young people co-creating the new power structure or, or dismantling the old power structures and actually becoming the proactive citizens. And I think this is where, when we consider digital technologies, that's where digital technologies can in many ways become disempowering. And we know from, you know, the disinformation aspect to datification to algorithmic profiling, digital injustice, all of these factors have to be considered in digital youth work. So in a sense, uh, we have to consider the power of digital technologies. And I think what's interesting is that uh, we have no choice, right? We have to use digital technologies. They are embedded into social, cultural and economic structures, but it's just a case of knowing how to work around them for now before we hopefully one day change the digital landscape and it will become more youth-centered. But um, being realistic, we have to use what we have, you know, how do we ensure that we use them in a meaningful way? I think there is a huge gap for, you know, digital education. How do we empower young people and youth workers, most importantly, to feel confident around digital technologies and not feeling that they are failing or that they have to battle with so many ethical challenges? And I would just emphasize that digital youth work or youth work in general is this unique space, which isn't formal education or home, where digital youth workers and youth workers have to deal with issues that are very unique when it comes to young people's digital citizenship. So, you know, some of the embarrassing issues like sexting or some of the new emerging forms of digital violence, they all come to youth workers or, you know, the youth work spaces, because that's the only space that can somehow deal with these issues, these new emerging issues. So I would say that really youth workers require, you know, like a, a comprehensive support, not just in terms of training, but teams of people who could deal with these issues. So in a sense, we need huge teams of people to not fight back, but to understand the power dynamics with digital technologies and hopefully educating young people so they can then uh, change the structures in the future. But it's, uh, I think, years of work but we have to acknowledge that the problem is there to take it uh, step by step. Uh, so I hope this helps as an answer. Yeah, it helps, I think. Definitely it does. But uh, and I think it's uh, 
kind of confirmation as well when we talk about developing the digital skills. I mean, very often we very narrowly focus on understanding what actually digital skills or digital competences mean and what, what is the purpose of education or the purpose of digital competence education. Very much, for example, focusing on critical thinking, which is very important, but it's not enough anymore. It's very important to understand the whole technological or internet ecosystem and everything that, that actually interacts there. So I think that this is also important, which is also challenging. That's why you're saying that it requires uh, a lot of people as well to be involved in, in this process. Tanya. I wanted to add that for me, this was the key message of your research, that there is a third actor. It's often people don't think about it, but it's there and it has a big power. And if we think that a lot of youth work has emerged through social work, mostly challenging power dynamics already, trying to create better social justice, better rights, better opportunities for young people, the whole setup already, it's almost like a recall. Are you sure that you know everything about the environment in which you are having a youth work? activity, be it with an individual or especially within groups. And how do you ensure group dynamics online? This is really fascinating. And as Alicia said, there are certain things that technology has brought upon the whole of society. And we see young people are very proactive on internet governance agenda. The institutions, the European institutions are starting to think, well, it cannot just be a jungle. We have to regulate certain things. We have to stop hate speech. We have to limit it. We have to stop fake news. Today, it's super important as a topic. We have to stop algorithms deciding and especially pushing for this, what we already know from 2018 research that we did was that internet, in fact, or technology and internet, pushes an accumulation of advantages for people who already have them and an accumulation of disadvantages for people who don't have them. I think it ties into the one of your next conclusions, which is really about the digital exclusion. But what does that mean? I mean, internet has become, in some countries, people are arguing that internet has to be a service and a right guaranteed to all people so that they can feel uh, they can be part of society. So, yeah, maybe I can hand it over to Andre or Alicia for the next part. I uh, just wanted to add that regarding the previous conclusion that in practice, actually everybody when installs an app, when you have that button to accept terms and conditions, nobody actually reads the terms and conditions. And this is just something very simple that could can be changed in, in the following years. And you said competences. Yes, it's also about competences. Digital youth work being still youth work, same youth work, but using a different environment. And yes, we don't know for sure the environment we are working on. Actually, this is my conclusion from practice. And going to, to the social exclusion or this, 
Actually, we know for sure that we have disadvantaged youth. We have remote youth. We have low skills and low competences youth. Actually, the paper is telling that we have quite big gaps. Romania and Bulgaria being the last ones with almost 20% or 28% of youth not having access or not having a device. You said about internet, but it's not only about internet. It's also about having device. And let's face it, we still have youth that don't have electricity. So this is also a reality. There are few examples, but still we have also this kind of situations in Europe. So I, the conclusion is that when you don't have internet or you don't have the device, the proper device to, to work uh, with, or you don't have electricity, from f for different reasons, you, you can have a, a, a storm like it was in Great Britain a few weeks ago and they didn't have electricity for one week. It's still, yeah, there are separate cases, but uh, it's, a, it's a good example, a good discussion, what is happening when you don't have these resources And also, let's face it, we have youth workers that don't have proper internet connection or proper devices. And we have organizations that don't have a, a strategy, don't have resources to, to invest in. Because actually, when we talk about digital, we are talking about an environment, not only one laptop, but the organization probably will have a, a big environment to work on. So for that, you need resources, you need human resources specialized in developing it. So it's also about uh, money and skills. Yeah, I definitely agree with what Andre has just covered. You know, there is the issue of digital inclusion in terms of connectivity, but there's also the idea of meaningful digital inclusion or meaningful digital access. There's different terminology that you can use there, but in essence, it means being able to have access to, you know, a reliable Wi-Fi, having the device, having the, the skills, the competencies to use it in a meaningful, safe and informed way. So how can we achieve that? You know, there's different programs out there to obviously train people in digital skills. But as we know, We are always one step behind, you know, when it comes to uh, digital transformation. The things are constantly changing. New skills are being in demand, you know. We really don't know what the future of labor will look like. So it's really about being agile and responsive and finding ways so we can all benefit uh, from the digital transformation. And yes, there are lots of digital inequalities. And from some of the research I've done Elsewhere, I actually heard of places that don't have access to water or um, toilet, but they do have a Wi-Fi and a phone, which kind of uh, makes you realize how important it is to, to have access to information. It's, it is a basic human right to participate, to have information and to have um, education to access information in a meaningful way. But there are two types of digital exclusion that we discuss here. And I think there is a lot of research focusing on young people, and it's extremely important to know what challenges they face. And there is the assumption that, you know, young people use phones, therefore they are digitally in included, which is not the case because you need different types of skills. You need computers, you need, you know, reliable internet access. There's research that I've done in the past on data literacy and learning that 
Yes, indeed, young people use their phones, their, their smartphones to access social media, but doesn't mean that they have the knowledge or the access to reliable information or news sources. So this is a big aspect, you know, young people's digital inequalities. But one of the things that I've researched recently is the emerging digital divides in youth work in Europe. And this is something that I've done over the last year. And I've learned that there are, you know, striking differences between youth workers who are digitally included and who are at the forefront of the agenda. You know, they're the ones who experiment. These are the people who think strategically on how to help other youth workers. And they are also more sort of cautiously optimistic about digital transformation. So we have a group of these youth workers who are doing amazing work in terms of experimenting with new digital technologies and participatory environments, coming up with new ideas, and they have the means to do so. You know, they are also strategically supported by their organization. However, we also have this huge group of, of youth workers who are trying to catch up, you know, who are perhaps uh, left behind in a sense from the structural point of view, you know, the, the intersectional kind of factors that affect your ability to, to digital participation. So if you're in remote areas, what Andre has just mentioned, you are going to have more issues with your digital access. The same with issues in terms of social economic powers. All of these affect digital inclusion. So I would say that uh, when it comes to digital inequalities in youth work, we definitely need more research. Both of you actually talk about this bigger thinking when it comes to, to digital youth work. And this is the next area that you explore about thinking strategically about digital youth work. So not as something that is only project-based, so we use the technology for a project and that's it, but put it on the agenda of youth work, also as a part of recognition of youth work. If we can focus on this area as well, what, are, what limits you identified and what are your recommendations? If you allow me, I will start with the practice, the digital came and won't live very soon from our lives. So this is something we will do from now on. Uh, and this is for sure. We, we will live in a digital area for the entire our lives. So this is one thing. The other thing it's from my side um, at the grassroots level, this transformation it's bringing also the discussion of the quality we know that in the past, the youth workers were gathering the youth in one place. And for some activities, the youth, I'm using this metaphor, they were captive at that activity. You have three hours, you cannot go out from that activity if you like it or not. But when you go in, in online and in digital, you can live at any time. And this is bringing the discussion of increasing the quality and actually responding to the youth needs instead of assuming what they need. So this is my perspective of what is needed in, in the next phases and, and years. Yeah, the issue of quality or lack of it, you know, is a big one because this is where we also talk about the strategic way to 
assess digital youth work. And I think there has been quite a lot of issues related to impact. You know, how do we measure impact of digital youth work? And what criteria do we use? You know, should we use the criteria that have been there for um, a number of years? Or, you know, does that mean that these criteria will stay static? And does that mean that young people have to achieve the skills that have been like have been around for a while or are we actually responding to the new challenges and are we anticipating the changes that might happen and something that i learned a few years ago was that when it comes to impact evaluation and thinking about the strategic way to manage a project very often youth workers in scotland at least had fit in into a certain definition of impact and it's the same with young people who felt responsible for reporting a certain type of impact so to make sure that the narrative fits in with what uh, the funders need so in a sense, it feels like a, a strategic performance to survive and to have funding for the future for digital youth clubs and the idea that everybody has to be empowered through digital technologies. So I think what we need is we need a realistic view or a realistic strategic approach to better understand what's going on in the field without imposing this assumption that everything has to be successful, that every project has to be amazing and we have to change the world by designing an app. You know, this is definitely an issue. Uh, and I have learned about issues related to funding, the assumptions that if you turn uh, activities into online activities, you don't need funding, you know, and that uh, there's this assumption that just young people have their digital technologies and that the Wi-Fi is free. I think mean, tackling these assumptions and ensuring that there is a, a collaborative approach and obviously more research and more uh, voices from the youth workers community to learn about these strategic issues because many organizations have been left to their own devices during COVID, for instance, and not knowing what the procedures to take, not knowing what are the ethical approaches to do digital youth work. I mean, so many practical issues. It feels like we are throwing the hot potato at this pink balloon and destroying it. You know, the pink glasses that we wear when we talk about digital youth work. But I think this is the only way to dig deeper into these issues and to slowly try to address them. Just very briefly, I would add that there have been some interesting initiatives and digital is part of the bigger environment of youth work as well. And digital is another environment that youth work has to enter. So this crossroad has to be really looked at between these two big policy fields. And we cannot just stop at thinking about upskilling the youth workers so that they are comfortable to do, they have better competencies. There is much more. There is a need for investment. There is a need for devices, for ecosystems, digital connections that function well. There is a need for understanding what and monitoring constantly where the young people are digitally. Where do they spend their time online? And how is that helping them? Or how is that making them feel? Do they feel better, worse? Are they learning? Are they just getting captives of strange narratives? So all of this is part of strategic thinking. And some countries have literally, during the pandemic, have given grants to organizations to set up better equipment, but also better systems to, to do youth work. So I think that's really important that more countries have to invest overall in youth work and with a particular focus on digital. I think that what really comes from what we were discussing is on a very kind of practical level is 
these questions that we have to ask ourselves when we actually think about digital youth work or making our youth work activities digital. So it's not to take everything for granted, not to assume a lot of things as well, but just to ask or be aware of these different limitations that you identify, and maybe other ones as well, that are identified in a very specific context. So I think that these questions are very important to take into account when we think about our youth work activities. We, of course, encourage everybody to look at the paper, find out more. There is a lot of research examples, a lot of data from different research collected in the paper. And as as usual, we are also putting the link to this paper in the notes to this episode. So thank you, Alicia. Thank you, Tanya. Thank you, Andre, for, for this time. And yeah, that's it. Thank you. Bye bye.